Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. I'm excited for this month of December. We are going to focus on having a gospel Christmas. Now, uh, you might say, well, wait a minute, Christmas is, we, every Sunday, we're all about the gospel. But sometimes, and oftentimes, right, Cameron, come on up here, have a seat with me. Uh, we, uh, you know, get wrapped up in all the Christmas frenzy, right, and everything that goes with this time of, of year of, um, well, I don't have to go through, I think we all know all that stuff, and we miss the very essence of this this, uh, this most precious, the greatest gift that um, the world has ever received, the greatest gift that we've right, ever received. And uh, so we want to just take these next four weeks, really, uh, to dive in on, uh, on that, on, on the gospel itself. I'm excited that uh, Cameron, uh, many of you know Cameron. Cameron uh, grew up here in this community. Cameron's taught with us before here. He leads uh, with others the Ignite, our young adults ministry here at the church. Has done that for several years now, right? And, That's right. Um, and uh, I'm just excited to, uh, to have Cameron come and teach this morning um, uh, this idea of the gospel, this greatest gift, and I know the Lord's really put an awesome message on your heart for us all right, this morning for that. Cameron runs the uh, Snowmass Sports, up in, uh, owns and operates that up in Snowmass, and very involved in our community in many different ways. And, but uh, Cameron, just obviously before you get in and, and share with us this morning just about uh, the gospel the Lord's put on your heart for us, man, I think just y- you grew up here. And so you know well, I think, the transforming blessing of the gospel and, and where you were before, right, and, and where, where the journey that the Lord has had you on. So just any thoughts as we get into this um, about your journey here as a local boy and, uh, and what the gospel has meant to you over the years. That's right. I grew up here in Aspen, alumni of Aspen High School. Aspen's a tough place to grow up as a Christian. When I was in high school, I, um, played, I played golf and was on the varsity golf team and fell pretty hard into the party crowd right between my sophomore and junior year. And for those of you that have kids in high school that have, that have brought them up here, the party crowd at Aspen High School is hardcore. It is a hardcore party. Um, I used to wake up on Wednesday mornings and think about where I'm going to get beer on Wednesday after school. And since I've graduated, I've lost three friends from Aspen High School to drug and alcohol-related deaths. Three. And I sit here today by the grace of God and the prayers of my mom (laughs) to to get me through that rough patch of, of life, of rebellion, uh, but God has transformed me. God has, has um, made me a new person awesome. by the powers of his word. Yeah, yeah man, and uh, that's what it's all about, you know. Um, and gang, I think we know it just seems like we are so distracted by so many other things that we're warring about, silly things that we're talking about that our culture has just got a hold of, and we're missing the more important thing, the real issues that are going on in people's lives right now. And we need to make sure that this, we use this season especially to get back to what the season's all, all about, but also to use these, these weeks ahead to, to be ready to step into those real issues 
uh, that are going on in people's lives and realize we've got the we've got the good the best news the best gift in all the world to share. And I think that's what you want to talk to us about this morning. That's right. right. Yes. So, Father, I just thank you for my brother. I thank you, Lord. I have you gifted him, Lord, how you have transformed his life, how you met him, Lord, in a place of trying to find fulfillment in the world and everything the world has to offer. And God bring, and brought your grace and your mercy, and you've been transforming, changing him. He's been walking in that abundance, Lord. Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit upon him. Let it, you just... Through your word and your spirit, bring a message to our hearts, God. And Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, I pray you will just do something amazing this season and in the life of our church family, God, that you would set us on fire, Lord, to be just consumed, Lord, uh, captivated, Lord, by your gift, by the glory of the gospel, Jesus, what you've done for us. And uh, Father, may we just be sharing the good news. Father, open up opportunity, especially this season, to step in and serve people, Lord, with the good news. And uh, Lord, we love you. Um, Give us ears, heart to hear what you have to say to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bro, all yours. Take a moment and think about the scariest thing you've ever done. Why was it scary? Was it standing in front of people? Was it trusting the airplane pilot? Did it take great preparation? Why was it risky? Oftentimes, the greatest reward comes with the greatest risk. Right now, in this day and age, is it necessary for you to take risks? Can you live one year, one month, or even one day without taking a risk? Can you live your life to the max without taking a risk? You know, people post things on social media these days that they would never say to your face. They would never say it. Do you know why they do that? Because there's no one there to punch them. there's, There's no one there. There's no repercussions. Facebook has become the equivalent of a truck stop bathroom wall. Garbage in, garbage out. We have to guard ourselves from all the junk on social media these days. But is it really necessary to take risks? The most successful people have taken the greatest risks, right? Today, I'm going to preach on this verse, Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to break this verse down and give us some practical tools for evangelism, some life hacks. And then motivate us, hopefully motivate us on why evangelism is important in this day and age. So when you think of evangelism, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Or what's the reaction in your body? Most people break out into cold sweats. (laughs) They they start making excuses. I got to go skiing. I got to make dinner. I got to go to the gym anything but evangelism, right? A few stats on evangelism 
5 to 10% of Christians shared their faith this year. That means the other 90 didn't. Never spoke about Jesus to their friends, to a stranger, to their coworkers. It takes a person seven and a half times to hear the gospel before they accept it. Seven and a half times. That's a, that's a lot, isn't it? You would think it would be two or three, seven and a half times. Are you going to be the one to speak the gospel over someone's life that seventh and a half time? Romans 3.23 again says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. The previous verse, verse 22, says there is no distinction. All have sinned. Man, woman, conservative, liberal, vaccinated, unvaccinated, regular student, international baccalaureate, Alabama, Auburn. Yeah, right, the Bears. Black, white, Asian, Jew or Gentile, skier or snowboarder, uphill addict or cross-country skier. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the condition of man. We're stained by it, guilty of it, polluted by it, and condemned for it. We're inherently sinners, each and every one of us, by ourselves by the things we've done, by the things we've said, and the things we've thought. Not one of us is innocent. It's the case of the whole world, every man or woman ever born. It's a universal fact, with the exception of one, right? That was Jesus. If there was no sin, what would the world look like? There'd be no hospitals. There'd be no prisons. There'd be no orphanages. There would be no desperation and loneliness and anxiety and depression and anger and fear. When you hear this verse, it's a, it's a hard thing to hear that we've fallen short, right? But it points us to the cross. When you hear this, you might think, what do you mean I've fallen short? All these people, they're good people. They're good people, right? We, we can start to say these things to ourselves. We can believe that we're good enough. Real talk. Sins of the flesh. Murder. Adultery. You don't have to do them. All you have to do is think them. The equivalent is hatred and lust. What about pride? Self-righteousness. We're all guilty of these things sometimes, aren't we? The Jews at the time of Christ believed that they were immune from the penalty of sin because of their Jewish lineage. And today, in our modern culture, we can believe that we're immune because I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not peddling meth or involved in human trafficking. God will accept me. I'm not that bad. We believe this lie of the middle. With God, there is no middle ground. We're either a child of the king or Satan is our father. You're either in a relationship with Christ 
or you're not. You're either storing up mercy or you're not. So God's glory. Let's define God's glory. It's so important that we understand the glory of God. I want you to close your eyes and think of the most beautiful thing you have ever seen and experienced. Take a moment. This is um, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The statue you see there is Christ the Redeemer. Uh, that's kind of the business district of Rio de Janeiro. Right around the corner is Copacabana Beach and Ipanema. It's, a, it's a, one of the most amazing and beautiful cities you will ever see. I've been there a couple of times, and it is awe-inspiring. You can stand on the base of that statue and overlook the city, and Jesus' arms are open wide to Brazil, open wide to the world. It's incredible. So what, what is that moment for you, that, that beautiful moment that you just imagined? I want to tell you that God is more beautiful than all of our thoughts collectively. Do you know why? Because he is the author and the creator of those beautiful moments. God cannot be contained in the beauty of Aspen and the majesty of the Maroon Bells and Pyramid Peak, Highlands Bowl. He can't be contained in the stunning landscape of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. God is more beautiful than we can ever imagine. The word says, no ear has ever heard, no eye has ever seen, and no human mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Oftentimes, there's this word in our culture that's way overused, Someone, you might ask your friend, how was your lunch today? Where, what, did you, what did you have? And they said, oh yeah, we went to Michola, had the enchiladas. They were awesome, <laughs> right? How often do we hear that? This word awesome. The word awesome means awe-inspiring. Were your enchiladas really awe-inspiring? <laughs> were they really that good? Come on. This word awesome should be reserved for God alone. Only God is awesome. So when we think of glory, there's a verse in Hebrews 1 verse 3, and it says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Think about this. The world is actually held together by the word of Jesus. He upholds nations and societies. He keeps it all propped up by his word. Jesus alone. That is glory. That is power beyond what we can ever imagine, isn't it? Awesome. Think about, that's right. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Think about the sun, right? Outside. In Colorado, we have over 300 sunny days a year. That's why people flock to the state because it's sunny. It's beautiful. And we know the sun is up because it radiates light. It radiates heat. We can, we can feel its warmth. It gives life and energy to the world. We have those bluebird ski days, and we go out and, and surf the mountains, and it's glorious. The sun is shining, and we bask in it, don't we? We bask in the Colorado sunshine. What happens if we don't get enough sunlight? We have 
vitamin D deficiencies. The sun produces endorphins that boost our mood, helps produce uh, melatonin at night so we can sleep well. Um, if we don't get enough sun, we have bad circulation. There can be depression. So many repercussions for not getting enough natural sunlight. That's simply science. Well, what happens if we don't get the sun, Jesus? It translates into the spiritual realm. Outside of Jesus and getting and basking in his light, we're going to be searching. We are going to be looking, trying to fill a void in our souls, right? There'll be a deficiency. In Aspen, many people have incredible toys, right? There's the G-Wagon and the house on the hill, the finest of everything. But I, I know that many of the most wealthy people are still unsatisfied. There's still a, a deep longing in their soul. You know what? The exotic vacations to Monaco and Martha's Vineyard and the Louis Vuitton bag, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Sorry if you have a Louis bag. <laughs> Not really. You know, the thing about a G-Wagon is you can't drive your G-Wagon into eternity. You can't take it with you. It's not, it's simply not possible. I have a friend who has a, a G-Wagon and I got to drive it this summer. And I'll tell you what, I felt like a king driving it. It was unbelievable. This car is so cool. It's just incredible. But eventually the new car wears off and you need something else to fill that void. But for the 15 minutes that you, that you drove it, you felt like a king. I want to tell you a story about someone I met here in Aspen. And it was, this, it was this girl, and she is a beautiful child of God. And I met her, and I, and I was like, who is this girl? And I, I got her phone number, and I took her out on a couple of dates. We had a nice dinner, great conversation. <laughs> And so, and so I, after the holidays, I got COVID and uh, she brought me a nice meal and I was like, oh, this is great. I was, um, you know, miserable and sick uh, with COVID. I had to isolate it. It was 14 days and she brought me uh, some food. And after I got back to work, I started uh, texting her and calling her again, hoping to, you know, set up another date. And um, she just disappeared. Never texted me back wouldn't respond to anything. And one of my friends was like, hey man, don't give up. Just keep texting her. Keep, keep calling her. Don't give up. So side note for all, all of us young adults in here who are, are playing the dating game, um, to my sisters in Christ, don't ghost your brothers in Christ. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ghost your brother in Christ. You are better than that. You, treat, treat us with love and kindness. You can say, I'm tired, I'm sick, or I'm just not interested. That's fine. Don't, don't ghost your brothers in Christ. <laughs> so this girl, towards the end of the ski season, started responding to my text all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, well, great, okay. Maybe I have another shot here. And 
we got together and I was like, what happened? Where have you been? Are you okay? And she said, Cameron, I was a mess this season. I was a mess. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Tell me more. And she said, and began to tell me the story of her whole life. And she came from a very wealthy family. And at 18 years old, she started her college career by studying abroad in an exotic European city. She grew up in a secular home, and her mom and dad didn't really have a plan as far as this is what you should do, this is how you should live. It was, here's our credit card. And by the way, get whatever you want on this credit card. And so this young lady proceeded for the next six or seven years of her life to indulge in all of the world's offerings. She confessed to me that she participated in every single one of the seven deadly sins. So some of those are lust, gluttony, greed, envy, slothfulness. There was a season of her life where she was deeply involved in every single one of those. And she said it just left her feeling more and more empty, more and more isolated, more and more alone, more and more desperate. And she came to Aspen with the hope of a fresh start, starting fresh with God and getting her life on track. And it was for the first part of the season. And then she fell back into the party crowd. The party crowd sucked her in. And she fell back into her old ways. And she was addicted to multiple things all at once right here in Aspen. And she hit a rock bottom. And one of her coworkers began to speak the word of God over her life, to stand in the gap and pray for her, to share with her the love of Christ. And she said she couldn't barely stand at work and was crying in puddles of tears. And her coworker stood above her and told her how much God loved her, told her that she was forgiven, told her that she was set free. She was no longer bound by sin. Folks, this is evangelism speaking the word of God, standing in the gap, loving people that need Jesus. And she knew Jesus, but she had gotten way off track. The world had sucked her back in. And so I said, what happened next? How are you here today? And so she was desperate, broken, shattered by sin, had fallen back into it. And she had reached that rock bottom. And at that rock bottom, she had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus lifted her up. Jesus was there at her very lowest. She got in her car with her Bible and tucked herself away in the mountains, just her and God. And she read the word and it transformed her. Jesus' message to her was, I love you. I don't care what you've done. You're forgiven. Folks, this is the best news you could ever tell somebody. So she was transformed right here in Aspen. That happened here. Is Aspen going to become a place where people are transformed by the love of God? Will you have something to do with that? I hope all of us at Crossroads Church will. I want to talk to you about Aspen a little more just for a moment here. I want to talk to the Cloud Nine crowd. I want to talk to the Matsuhisha crowd. 
You know, I'll bet you that all the people that are coming to cloud nine this winter are not waking up and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful to be able to pop bottles at cloud nine today. And Matsuhishi is just going to be so delicious. I bet you they're not waking up with that grateful heart. You know what the Bible says about eating and drinking? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What if we recaptured eating and drinking for the glory of God? How do we do that? What if you sat in your car before you walked into the restaurant and said, Lord, I'm your vessel. Use me to lead someone to Jesus in this restaurant. Sorry, I just got to tie my shoes so I don't trip over this. Imagine, imagine that. You just change your mindset before you walk. You just go into the, the, the bar to have a drink or whatever, and you say, Lord, use me in this place to witness to somebody for your kingdom and your glory. You can, you can shift eating and drinking from just your personal enjoyment and nourishment to actually glorifying God. Let's shift that in our, in our lives, shift our mindset, shift our thinking. To all the young ladies out there who want that Louis Vuitton bag, if they're saying, oh, if I, if I just had my Louis bag, I would be set. I, I, I have made it in the world if I have a Louis Vuitton bag. You know what? You cannot take your Louis Vuitton bag into eternity with you. It's not possible. In 1987, there's a picture of Cloud Nine. All the revelers. In 1987, you two came out with the album Joshua Tree. And there was a song on that album that was called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It sold 10 million copies in the United States, 25 million copies worldwide, and was the number one album in 20 countries in 1987. The song I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For was not only catchy, and amazing, and one of the greatest rock albums of all time. But it was the heart cry of the world. How many times have you heard that song and you go, yeah, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That song resonates. And Bono, Bono, however you want to say it, he wrote these lyrics. You broke the bonds, and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believed it. And then he goes on to say, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. See, I believe Bono wasn't unsatisfied in the cross. Maybe one day you'll get to ask him in heaven what he meant. But I believe Bono was saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for because his career had not reached international stardom. When they released this album, they became superstars. They went from a fairly unknown band to superstars. So when, when Bono said that, he wasn't unsatisfied in the cross. He just wasn't the superstar yet. Christ is the only one who can rewrite your history. Forgiven. Everything we've ever said, 
done, or thought. He's the one who can bridge the gap back to the Father so you can have fellowship with God. In the song, there's also a lyric that says, I've done this only to be with you. Jesus left heaven, sent by the Father, so you, all of us, and everyone in the whole world has the opportunity by believing in Jesus to be with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. Without this, we're going to be looking and searching and yearning for satisfaction. Well, the past 18 months have been a bumpy ride with COVID. A lot of people have hit desperate times, whether it be mentally, with our jobs, just the unknowns. Pre-COVID, we, we kind of had this mindset of, okay, this year this is going to happen, next year this is going to happen, we have this vision, right? After COVID, things have become a little more shaky, a little more unknown, I think, for everybody. And secretly, I think the whole world is yearning for this. Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many people after this past 18 months have grown weary? I think at one point or another we all have. Weary of mass, weary of whatever it may be. This is so important that this is the gospel we're preaching. You know, sometimes we carry multiple yokes. We carry a yoke of our family, our business, our finance, uh, our fitness, whatever it may be. Jesus wants us to be yoked with one yoke. And he's taking it all and saying, follow me. I got you. The other way that I think the glory of God is so clearly manifested is in the Trinity. And as Christians, we believe in the triune God, tri-unity. God is one nature and three persons. Now, why is the Trinity so glorious? I want to explain just briefly how the Trinity plays a role in our salvation. Why did God need to send the Son? Because sin separates us from God. It separates us from the glory of God. God is holy and completely separate from sin. Humanity is sinful. God the Father planned redemption and sent the Son into the world. The Son obeyed the Father and accomplished redemption for us. This is so important. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I didn't know Derek was going to sing those songs this morning with these lyrics. I didn't know. But Jesus said in the next verse, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
You see, Jesus was sent by the Father, and he perfectly accomplished his will by dying on the cross for our sins. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, his role, he was sent by the Father and the Son to apply redemption to our lives, to help us live out life as a, as a son and a daughter of God. He helps us walk the Christian life, to empower us, to live supernaturally, to give us joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the Holy Spirit is incredible. We can't walk without him. So now, guys, I want to give us a few practical tools to share the love of God with others. Evangelism life hacks, we'll call them. So 50 or 60 years ago, many more people across this great land had what we would call a Christian worldview. If someone was an atheist in the 60s or 70s, most likely they were a Christian atheist. Now we live in a culture in 2021 where people don't have a frame of reference for God. They're skeptical. There may not be any common ground. There may even be some hostility. They think, well, which God are you talking about? What qualifies you? Are you one of those crazies? And then you think to yourself, well, I'm not qualified. And I don't really want to speak up because I don't want to lose my friends. So I'm just not going to say anything. So how do we get over the hump in talking about Jesus? Here's some practical things. Jesus called you the salt of the, of the earth. You. I want you to start having salty conversations. Here are some salty conversation starters. Do you go to church? <laughs> have you ever been to church? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? What do you think is the most important thing to God? What happens when we die? These are really kind of point blank questions but they're great conversation starters. The goal here is to ask good questions that lead to good conversations that point back to Jesus. The second thing is listen to others. Give them a chance to speak their mind. Don't overrun them. Let them talk. Build social capital. Give them a chance to tell their story. When someone says, yep, it's Wednesday night, I'm going to an AA meeting, you say, tell me more. When someone says they're seeing a therapist, you say, tell me more. When someone says their relationship is on the rocks, you say, tell me more. This is your chance to listen. And eventually, you can share the love of God with them. Listening opens so many doors. When you're having these conversations with people, they're going to ask you, so how did you become a Christian? What's your story? Don't say, well, I was raised in a Christian home, and when I turned 16, I gave my life to Jesus. You know what that sounds like to them? 
blah, 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 blah. That's what it sounds like because it's not your own faith. Here's what you do. You tell them the story of how God rescued you from a life of partying, how you hit rock bottom and he was there, how he delivered you from pornography, from alcohol, from drugs, from a life of promiscuity, whatever it may be. Tell them your story. And then what about just telling them a simple story about Jesus? I'm going to tell you one that most of the world doesn't think about or even know. It was Jesus' first miracle. What did he do? He turned water to wine. The party was going strong. People were having an absolute ball, celebrating the bride and the groom. And then the wine ran out. Jesus' mother said, get going. And he's like, what does this have to do with me? But he listened to his, his mother and started moving water around. And they poured the water into the cup of the master of ceremonies, who's the equivalent of the head waiter. And as they poured it, the water became wine. And the, ha- the head uh, master tasted the wine, and he said, wow, this is some really good stuff you got here. I thought we were out. And so this, the wine that Jesus had made was not the $9.95 bottle of wine. It was the $99 bottle of wine. It was the Pinot Noir from 2012 of the Wilmette Valley in Oregon, the finest wine they had ever tasted. Usually, the fine wine comes out at the beginning when people can actually taste it. Jesus saved the best for last. So you can ask your friends, why did Jesus turn water to wine? And they, and they might say, well, he maybe wanted to keep the party going. Or they might say, I don't know. Why did he turn water to wine? And you can say, if Jesus was not at that wedding, the bride and the groom would have felt great shame because people would have went home early and they would have said, well, it was a nice wedding, but by the time the party was going, it was pretty much over. We ran out of wine. But Jesus was there. No shame was brought to the bride and groom. It was an incredible party. And also, there was great joy. There was great rejoicing. The word says that his first miracle was on display to bring glory to God. He wants to eliminate shame in our lives. Is this the gospel that we are presenting? Yesterday, I was parking my car, and I live in a a neighborhood that's kind of a cul-de-sac of townhomes. And I was parking my car, and I saw a friend of mine coming out of my neighbor's house. And um, I gave her a big hug and just started talking with her. And she's a customer of mine at at Snowmass Sports and um, great people. And uh, we were just catching up. And And I said to her, I said, what do you guys believe? Where do you... What are your spiritual beliefs? Do you have any? And she told me that um, she doesn't really believe in God. She's an atheist. And, but she told me her husband's a Christian. And the other day, her young son, her young son said to her, she said, or the, the, it's a boy, she said, uh, he, the little guy said, Mommy, 
are we going to be able to eat and drink in heaven? And will I see you there? And I said, you know what? This is so amazing. How cool is that? This little boy is asking questions about heaven. And I said, why don't you guys come to Crossroads? We have a great children's program. Get the the little guy plugged in. That's evangelism. Just telling people, come and join our family. When... Why do we need evangelism today? Why is it important? I'm going to say a few last things here, and then we'll, we'll land the ship. Um, look at what's happened since COVID. Church is, attendance is down about 50% across the board. We need to build the family of God. And church, I want to let you know, it's not your job to convince somebody of sin. The Holy Spirit does that. And the glory of the gospel is that we fall short. But when we become redeemed, the script is flipped and our lives now actually bring glory to God. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has made everything beautiful for its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See what the word says? Whether we realize it or not, everybody is searching for eternity. They're searching for transcendence, something that goes past this life. Jesus, he is the narrow way because he's the only way. We can't make up God who we want him to be. That's idolatry. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, sometimes we have this fear that if I'm sharing the gospel you know, I'm going to get rejected. You know what? You can never fail. You can never fail. All you have to do is show up and be faithful. There is no greater joy than leading someone to Christ. I think every one of us in here has had new shoes. Isn't that a great feeling? You feel comfortable, stylish. When you lead somebody to Jesus... It's like having new shoes, but in the spiritual realm. You're almost floating between heaven and earth. There's great rejoicing in a sinner who repents. There's great rejoicing in heaven. And you get to partake in that joy. It is the most incredible feeling one can ever feel, is leading someone to Jesus. You can be a part of that. In John chapter 4, it says... Yet there are four months, then comes harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already one one who reaps is receiving the wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. We like this word reaping, right? We want to be part of the harvest, but we don't like the sowing. It's hard work. It takes showing up day after day, putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions. Early mornings, late nights, out in the cold. You'll always have something in the world that's vying for your attention. But as disciples, we're called to be part of this harvest. I believe in these last days, we're going to see a harvest. We're going to see a revival. You don't want to be on the sidelines. You want to be in the fight. You want to be in the battle. You want to be a part of the action 
and the great harvest that's coming. When it comes, I believe we're going to see signs and wonders, miracles like we've never seen before in our lifetime. So I hope today there's been a mindset change. There's been a paradigm shift. Christianity is not a one and done religion. It's not, I'm saved and I'm secure and that's it. You're saved to be set ablaze. Lord, set us ablaze for your glory. Thanks, guys. Guys, I want to pray real quick and lead us here. Lord, we thank you and praise you that your word is as uh, sharp as a two-edged sword. We thank you that we carry the light of the world, that you have gifted us and empowered us to, to speak the word over others' lives and transform darkness to light. We get to be a part of the army of light. Lord, empower us, strengthen us, lead us, God, to be your soldiers in a dark world, to spread your love abroad. At this moment, with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I want to give anyone who has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior an opportunity to do that at this moment. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. If you want to commit your life to him today, this is an opportunity for you to make the most important decision of your life, to move from eternity separated with God to eternity with God. If that's you, raise your hand. Lord, we praise you and love you and thank you for this time. Empower us as as we go. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.